Hi, and welcome to the GLOW Podcast. I'm Dawn Rayleigh, co-pastor of Calvary Christian Center and pastor of the Women of Calvary. I have a passion to raise daughters who understand their identity in Christ and equip them to have confidence in who God has made them to be. In that confidence, they glow and lead others into the light and life-saving power of Jesus Christ. Connect with me on Facebook and Instagram at Dawn Rayleigh and for all things GLOW at GLOWWOC. I was born during the late 70s at a time where, um, you know, drugs were decimating the inner cities and crack and cocaine was decimating the suburbs. You guys, if you have any uh, 70s babies at that time, I was born during what you call the drug wave. Crack was completely destroying the inner cities. Cocaine was completely during the, just destroying the suburbs. So my family fell prey to the drug wave. And at the age of three, I was sent down the stream of the foster care system. The reason why I call it a stream is because I believe down that stream, just like Moses, right? He was sent down the stream of uncertainty. He didn't know where he was coming or going, but God had a better plan. Come on, say God had a better plan. So I was sent down the stream. The name my mother gave me was Angela Cornish. That is the name my birth mother named me. Oh, I feel the Holy Spirit. And then at the age of uh, three years old, I went into my first foster home and it was a, name, it was a family named the, the Rock family. If you guys know Chris Rock, he's a very famous comedian in Hollywood. So I went and lived with the Rock family. So I went from being Angela Cornish to Angela Rock. And I lived with the Rock family for a season. And then by the age of seven, I was adopted. And my adopted mom came to me and she said, young lady, I'm going to change your name. And I'm going, wait a minute, I've already been called by three names. Angela Cornish, Angela Rock, what is it going to be? And she said, I'm going to change your name and I'm going to name you De Havilland. And I said, De what? De who and de why? Why would you do? Because I grew up in the Boogie Down Bronx. Okay, no, I grew up in the Bronx. So I'm like, don't give me that name. What is it, De Havilland? What is that? So talk about an identity crisis, not just having my name changed once or twice, but three times. So I remember at the age of seven going to court and I had this question in my mind, which is a question I believe of this generation. With some, who am I? What was I born for? What was I made for? Seven years old, I was asking that question. So my adopted mom, she said, I'm going to change your name. What do you do when you have an identity crisis? You shout to a generation. Would somebody please tell me who I am? That's what we're seeing in our generation, right? So you search for identity in all the wrong places. So from the ages of 7 to 17, I went to the party scene. I went to the drug scene. But I said I couldn't do drugs because I saw what it did to my family. So I refused to do drugs, but I did everything else. And I found myself at the age of 17 years old, okay? I wasn't always saved, sleeping on a park bench in New York City because I got drunk one night and I ended up on the bench. And I remember being on this bench, just broken, 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 like that little girl in the courthouse. And I'm sitting on this bench, and as I'm there, I'm going, what happened to my life? What's my purpose? Same question. And as I'm laying on this bench, come on, Jesus, there's a friend of a family member who was a praying mama. Come on, do we have any praying mamas in the house? And this praying mama, she, she found me on the bench and she said, you don't belong on this bench. What are you doing here? 
And she said, you're coming home with me. I was 17 years old, 20 something, 25 years ago. She said, you're coming home with me. And I'm so drunk at this point, I don't care. I'm thinking it's already bad. How bad could it get? So I walk into her house and she's glowing. She's got the glow and I'm a sinner. See, when you have the glow, you just can't run. You can't, you, you're attracted to the, you know what I mean? The light is just, whoa. So I'm drawn into the light and she's playing Ron Cannoli. Come on. I, I was, I didn't know who Ron Cannoli was. We got any old saints? Ron Cannoli. It's like 1996 and she's it's so funny but this is she's got oil all over her walls i didn't know that every good intercessor needs a bottle of oil crisco anointing oil because she had been pacing the floor praying for this generation and she began to prophesy over me before i even know what prophecy was and she hunted me down with the love of god and, on, and, and, and she became my spiritual mom. And in 1997, I gave my life to the Lord, or more like the Lord took my life. The Lord took my life. And then the Lord asked me this question. He said to Haviland, who do you think named you? Now, we know if God asked us the question, he already knows the answer. But he was looking to see if I knew the answer. And I said, well, Lord, you're not schizophrenic. I didn't just have my name changed once twice but three times and he said to Haviland I want to reveal to you that I am the God who named you and later on after getting saved and going through a lot of sozo and getting all Toronto outpouring you guys remember the outpouring of the Holy Spirit going to Toronto going to Brownsville going to every revival sometimes being the only little black girl in the meetings but I was hungry for the presence so I remember going to Toronto going to these outpourings of the Holy Spirit and the Lord said, I'm going to teach you that I'm the God who named you. And I believe that's what God wants to teach a generation. So later on, I'm serving at the House of Prayer movement in Kansas City. And I meet a pilot. And he says, I heard you say your name was De Havilland. I need to tell you the history of your name. Sit down. And he starts to begin. Now, remember, God said he was going to reveal to me that he was the God who named me. And he said, De Havilland, during World War II, there was these, they were in the thick of the battle. The war was happening. And there was a man by the name of Jeffrey de Havilland, and he decided he literally wrote this bomber fighter out on a napkin and decided to build this plane called the de Havilland bomber. He said, and when he made the plane, other, plane, other people didn't believe in the design of the plane. They didn't believe the design would be able to survive. This plane would be able to survive through World War II. So instead of giving shrap wood to make the plane, they gave wood to make the plane. And he began to tell me this story and suddenly the Holy Spirit came upon me. And he said, to Havilland, I am the God who named you and I framed you and I saved you through the wood of my cross. And I've called you to fly with me and drop bombs of intercession in your generation. And suddenly my life began to make a whole lot of sense. And I believe outside these doors and outside these walls, there's a generation sleeping on park benches. They're sleeping on the benches of Harvard. They're sleeping on the benches of the inner cities. And they're saying, is there still a God who names and frames a generation? So when I got that revelation, I was wrecked because I understood that I was no longer living for myself. There's something about when God begins to reveal your name to me. Now your name to, tells you who you are. So on the way over here, I wasn't going to share my testimony tonight. But as I was flying in the air, I sit next to an engineer. 
And we start talking, he said, De Havilland, do you realize your name is a plane in World War II? It gets better. He said, do you know that when the plane was built, it was made by carpenters? Come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Nobody's life is a mistake. And when he said that, oh, I felt the carpenter step on the plane. And I began to preach the gospel to the man. So I share that story because I believe right now that praying mama who found me on that bench, God is raising up the praying mamas in the earth realm. That is my message. That is what I'm going to preach tonight. God is raising up a woman's movement. I'm so convinced of it that I would lay my life down for it. God is calling the Deborahs. God is calling the Esthers to the forefront. So after this revelation, I went, I served in Mozambique in the house of prayer movement and just was, God, wherever you're moving, I want to go. Because I spent all of my teens living for the world, 42 years old now, and was able to just go for revival and go for God. And in this going, I had a visitation in 2016. And I want to share that before I preach the scriptures. Is that okay? We're a house full of dreamers. I heard her share a dream. I want to share this dream with you that I believe has marked me and I believe God is calling women to the forefront. In 2016, I was saying, Lord, what are you saying to this nation? What are you doing with women? And in this dream, I was, I was in the dream and I saw thousands and thousands of women. And in the dream, their feet were like the feet of horses and they were mounting as if they were waiting to be let out of a gate. And in the dream, I heard a voice shouting, which I knew to be the voice of the Lord through my spiritual father, Lou Engel. And he began to shout these words. It is time for the women preachers to arise. It is time for the women voices to emerge. It is time for the women to come forth. And in the dream, all these women begin to run like horses. Come on. They begin to run like horses. And in the dream, I could not keep up with the women because they were so fast. And I remember approach, approaching the stage and Lou looking at me and he says, I guess I'm done. And, and, and he, he did his assignment. I said, no, you're not done. It's time for you. And it's not about Lou. I believe this is what the Lord is saying. To cast an Elijah mantle on a generation of Elisha women. I believe what that represents is double portion daughters. A double portion anointing that was prophesied in Joel. In Acts chapter 2 verse 17 in Joel 22, 28 where it says, In the last days I pour my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. There's a command, they shall prophesy. And that this double portion Elisha, Elijah mantle would come on a generation of women. And in the dream, the Lord said, I don't want to just mark women. Because if you mark something, it can be erased. But I want to brand women in this hour. I want to place my stamp of love upon women in this hour. So as he says this in the dream... We go down on an elevator in this, at the Lincoln Memorial. And he says, when you walk into the room, I want you to lay hands on them. I don't know what he's talking about. But I walk into the room and there's all these women wrapped in black burkas. 
wrapped in religious garbs, wrapped in Islamic garbs. And these women in the nations were waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But can I submit to you women in America, they were waiting for the women in the Western church to rise up. They were waiting for the women in the American church to wake up. And when we woke up, they woke up. In our breakthrough, in our breakthrough was their breakthrough. See, this thing of revival and outpouring and glowing is not just for us to glow, but it's so that a lost and dying world could come to the knowledge of God. And the Lord said to me, he said to Hamlet, when you see this Deborah and Esther moving, movement happening in the nations, get ready. But I will use pressure to bring about revival. See, we don't like to hear that. God will use pressure and shaking to birth a move of the Spirit. Right? I don't think God caused COVID. I don't think God is causing all this stuff. But I do believe God is allowing it because he's, it's like refining us in the fire so that the true glow could come forth. So that we won't just be marked, but that we have an eternal brand on our lives. How many of you want that brand? How many of you want to burn with the fire of the Holy Ghost? Cute church sermons are not going to do it anymore. Nice little cliches and hashtags are not going to do it. We've got to have a burn on the inside of us. We've got to have a burn until he returns. We've got to have a flame that can attract the lost. That people see you and say, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to have that kind of passion and fire for the living God? This is possible. Listen, ladies, this is our inheritance. This is what we were made for. We were made to glow. You were made to shine. Not just with makeup or having our brows on fleek, but with the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, makeup is good, but it can't replace the glory of God. I could put all the glowy stuff on my nose, but at the end of the day, when I'm going through the fire, I need to be able to connect with heaven. <laughs> We've got more YouTube videos, a billion new YouTube videos on how to apply makeup these days. And I'm going, I don't want to just learn how to apply makeup. I want to learn how to apply the scriptures to my life. So when I'm in the fire, I can do something that can shift something. Ladies of America, it is not enough just to know how to do makeup and do hair. We've got to have the power of the Holy Ghost. And I believe at the GLOW Conference, there's a group of women that's, that's hungry. <laughs> Come on, Jesus. Come on, Holy Spirit. So God began to say that I'm raising up the Esthers and the Debras and that my life was a sign. He's saving women out of the park benches of society and out of the universities, right? And he began to speak to me about this Deborah company, this Esther company. But tonight, I want to hit on Deborah. Oh, come on, hit on her. Hallelujah. Who said that? Anointed woman of God. You know, we think about a time we're in and I do feel like this season we went from 2020 is the year of the mouth you guys remember those prophetic words the year of pay this would be a time to declare so we, how do you go from the year of the mouth to the year of the mask have you ever asked yourself that question all the prophets were saying you're gonna they're gonna see the year of the mouth and now we're wearing masks because i believe the enemy is trying to muzzle our voices 
But God, God is taking the mask off, this, this, this spiritual mask that we put on. So God said, Deborah, you're, I'm raising up the voices. Now Judges 4.1, we all know Israel, I'll just read that Israel had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And everyone was doing right in their own eyes. Because of Israel doing evil in the sight of the Lord, the Lord gave them over to their enemy, Sisera. At this time, Jabin, King Jabin had been leading Israel. They had been in oppression for 20 years. Sisera's name actually means servant of Ra. You know who else served Ra? Pharaoh. That means that Sisera had no regard for the next generation. And he was oppressing Israel so much. He possessed 900 chariots with iron. And the people were under so much oppression that all village life had ceased. In other words, they were on a national quarantine. People couldn't travel on the open roads because someone would steal or rob them. So they had to travel on the back roads in Deborah's time. It was like Chicago on steroids in terms of thievery. People were just robbing people. People were under oppression. And none of the mighty men were fighting. Nobody was engaged in any kind of battle in Deborah's time. No one was fighting, no one was traveling. And everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. And the Lord said this to me, he said to Helen, right now it seems like everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. There's a delusionment that is falling on a generation, but I'm going to break that delusionment off. And they're going to begin to see again. So in Judges 4.4, before we get to Judges 4.4, Israel, the children of Israel cried out to the Lord for deliverance. They finally repented of their sin. And in this time, God raises, God raised up a judge, Deborah. I love Deborah. Deborah was the wife of Lepido. She was leading Israel at the time she held palm under uh, 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 she held court under the palm tree and the children of Israel would go up to Deborah to settle their disputes but not only was Deborah a prophet of the Lord but she was a judge she was a wife many scholars believe that one of Deborah's primary roles was to be the one who lit the temple lamps so at night whenever it was late Deborah would go and light the torches so before she was ever a judge or a prophet, I believe that the picture of Deborah's intercession was the picture of Deborah's life. She had to keep the temple lamps lit. And when I thought about this, the Lord said to Helen, I don't want you to just prophesy without fire in your lamp. I want to keep the lamp lit in your life. Has your fire gone out? Tonight, I want to rekindle the flame. Because it's not enough to just move in a ministry function. You've got to have fresh fire and you've got to have fresh oil on your life to sustain what is coming. So Deborah was not just a judge. She would go and she would light the lamps. Her husband's name actually meant burning torch. Lepido. He was, is that is what his name meant. What a picture of prayer. I believe that you cannot defeat the enemy without a prayer life. And this is a season where God is calling us to lead from our knees. I believe that in the church, and this is not a rebuke upon the church, God loves us and there's so much grace extended. And God knows we've all been through hell on earth. Everybody has went through something by a show of hands. This COVID thing didn't show partiality. It hit everyone's home. So I don't want to come with God's 
judging the church. I believe God loves his bride so much so that he's not going to leave us the way we are. So God wants to rekindle the fire. He wants to release a fresh burn on the inside of us. And listen, he said to me in this season, if you can't get out a prayer, get out a groan. It's your groan that's going to bring the breakthrough. It's your groan that's going to shift things. So Deborah would light those lamps. She was a picture of prayer. I believe we must return back to the altars of intercession. The Cinderella of the church, I don't remember who said that, has been the prayer meetings. God is calling us back to that place of first love. He's calling us to get oil like the wise virgins, right? He's calling us to have our lamps burning through prayer and fasting and worship. And I think that's so powerful. It also says that Deborah, in Judges 4 or 5, she was located between Bethel and Ramah. Bethel represents the place where Jacob wrestled with God, none other than the house of God. So we see Deborah is seated in a high place, which again represents her intimacy with God, her, her, her commitment to intercession with the Lord. God had positioned her there. We also know that Deborah was a mother. Do you know the highest authority is being a mom? Deborah called herself a mother in Israel. The only other person who would call themselves in terms of that was David when he said he was the father in Israel. So you see this love that she had for the people. She was positioned at a critical time. How many of you feel like, you know what, this time I just felt like quitting. I don't feel like, you know, I, I know I'm called to this, but I just felt like giving up. I can imagine... You know, that, that Deborah, and I, the Bible doesn't say that, but I believe every prophet had a struggle. Because she's having to navigate through the mess. And I believe we've had to navigate through a lot of messes in this time. We've had to navigate through racism. We've had to navigate through COVID. But God gave Deborah all that she navigate, needed to navigate in the middle of crisis. And I believe God is going to give the body of Christ everything we need to navigate through this hour. Because it's going to take a move of God. It's going to take the Holy Spirit. Deborah's name actually means honeybee. Let me read to you the social behavior of a honeybee. Honeybees, they have this amazing advantage and quality where they're able to mobilize a huge amount of bees to gather formal resources so then they, that they can show other bees where the pollen is, where the honey is. So in other words, what they would do, they would move in this precise rhythm and they would do this waggle dance. These bees would do this waggle dance. They called it the sickle dance. And what they would do, this would alert the other bees where the sweet honey was. And the Lord said to me, Deborah's name is a picture of a gathering anointing that I'm releasing on women to mobilize in this generation. And that there will be a special anointing that will come wherever women gather. There would be outpourings and outbreaks of the Holy Spirit. Milk and honey, the presence of God. Her name represented her ability to mobilize. Her name represented her ability to gather. That's an anointing on a mother. They're able to gather people in their homes, people on their jobs. I believe right now, and I, I don't want to get political, but this call to mothers, you know, when George Floyd, people talk about George Floyd. But what happened with George Floyd, there was a few words that woke a whole nation up. I don't know if you guys remember what he cried out. I want my mother. 
And I believe that it was a prophetic sign that God was saying, I want my daughters, I want my Deborahs, I want my mothers. I need them positioned for such a time as this. I know you've been through the fire. I know it's hard. I know some has lost people through COVID. It's been a rough season, but I desire my daughters to get in place for the sake of a lost and dying world. Because it's not just about us. In our breakthrough is their breakthrough. So God is calling us to gather, to mobilize so that we can see victory. How many of you want to see victory? I don't know about you, but I'm ready for a shift. I'm ready to step into revival. I'm not okay with seeing the way the culture is going. So God gives Deborah this mother, this, this, this judge, this priest. He gives her a strategy. He says, Deborah, I need you to go ahead and Judges 4, 6 to summon Barak. And to summon is a, is a respectable thing, to call forth Barak. Because I'm about to give Sisera into his hands. And I believe right now God is even going to use women to call pe- men that are on the sidelines, that have felt like quitting and giving up. Right? That have just said, I'm done. Maybe it's your son. Maybe it's your husband. God is saying, I'm going to put a word in your mouth that's going to bring the breakthrough. So Deborah summons Barak, and she says to him, hey, I'm going to need you to go and gather 10,000 men and the sons of Issachar because I'm about to lead Sisera, rout him, and I'm going to give you the victory. This is what Deborah says to Barak in Judges 4, 6, and I'm just, just saying it. And so it's so powerful. We see that Barak says to Deborah, and he doesn't do this. I don't believe Barak did this out of, um, you know, because he was afraid or intimidated by a woman. But he says this thing that's so, so interesting to me, and I believe he, in a sense, negated his authority. He says, Deborah, I'm, I, I'm not, I don't want to go without you. She was telling him, Barak, I'm going to give you the victory. And she says, no, I don't, I don't want to go this without. I don't want to do this without you. And she says, Barak, because you made this decision, the victory is going to go to another person. The victory is going to go to a woman. And, you know, some people look at that and they judge Barak. But I believe that Deborah didn't come at him with an, accusator, with an accusatorical spirit. She said, okay, we're gonna, this is still going to happen. Because this shows me a picture of partnership with men. I believe we've got to get rid of the feministic spirit that says, you're not enough, you didn't do it right, you made the wrong decision, and we just kill the man with our words. Deborah had a grace, she had a humility, and she was really able to still say, the victory is still coming. I believe God is going to bring women into alignment and break the feminist spirit off of the nation and the church that wants to uh, uh, bring, devalue the man. I'm over the man. No, that wasn't the picture. So God is calling men and women together in this hour. So what happens? This is so powerful. So Barak, he summons, right? He summons the mighty men and God tells him, Deborah says, go to Mount Tabor. For this is where this is going to go down in the Kishon River. So there's this powerful things that happen. And Judges, um, in Judges 5.20, let's see how the battle plays out. It says, from the heavens, the stars in their courses fought against Sisera. So there's this epic battle that's about to happen. 
I believe that the stars, and, and of course stars represent angels, because of the type of intercession Deborah had, that even the angels, the stars fought in their courses against Sisera. I believe Deborah already won the battle in prayer. She had been crying out to the Lord for Israel. See, there are certain battles you've already won in prayer. Though you have not seen the manifestation, don't stop praying. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't quit. If you don't quit, you will win. If you do not quit, you will win. Deborah had already been praying. That's how she knew where to route Sisera. So from the heavens, the stars fought and they warred against. Isn't that a beautiful thing? This warring, this, 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 this contending. So much so that what was happening in heaven was affecting the weather on earth. <laughs> that it began to rain and, and some scholars say it began to hail. <laughs> and I believe that is a picture of the Lord drowning out our enemies. He's drowning out all the noise in your head. He's drowning out all the accusations of the enemy. He's drowning and driving out depression. He's drowning and driving out suicide. If you can hear this tonight, he's drowning out this I, that's what, the very thing that's clouding your identity of who God's called you to be. Because the greatest battle with women is in the mind of who we are because the enemy knows if we ever get a clue of who we are, something in the heavens and on the earth realm will begin to shift. If we ever get an idea and say, you know what, no, I'm not coming under that stigma. I'm not coming under that inferiority. I'm not coming under that rejection. I'm not coming under it. I don't care what you say. This is what God says. And when you begin to step in that, the angels and things begin to shift in the heavens. God is calling us right now through all the noise to stand up, not in arrogance, but in true humility and say, no, this is who I am. Right? And it's okay, women of God. God wants to give you permission to preach. He wants to give you permission to prophesy. He wants to give you permission to teach. He wants to give you permission to lead from the front and not the back with the cap on and sunglasses. <laughs> I've done that before. I've said no to a thousand things because I said, oh, no, 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 Lord, I'm someone else. Even though I had the same training as everyone, no, no, not me, God. And I remember being at a church and a leader saying, you have three strikes against you. I'm going, oh, where's this going? Where's this going? One, you're young. This was years ago. One, you're next, you're black. Great, thank you. And third, you're a woman. And the Lord said, great, because all of these things will qualify you. Because when men disqualify you, I qualify you. Ladies, I'm telling you tonight, permission granted to love God. Permission granted to burn for God. Permission granted to pursue God. You have a church that allows you to dream. So her prayer life, I believe something was shifting. All these Boom, we see the hailstones and Sisera is literally stuck in the mud because of this storm. They were not even in flood season, but there was so much torrential rain happening that it says that Sisera actually has to mount off his horse. He has to get off his horse, right? Because he's stuck there. He has to get off his horse. And this is so wild to me because uh, I was reading how the Kishon River in the Hebrew, Kishon actually means sore place. 
It was like he was a sore loser. He was led to this sore place. Because when the enemy taunts you, God will cause him to look sore in the end. So he's stuck in a sore place. He's stuck in the mud. He has nowhere to go. So he goes to the, oh, this is so amazing. He goes to the least likely candidate in her, to her tent. <laughs> he goes to this Canaanite woman in Judges uh, 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 4.17. I may have my scriptures mixed up here on this. this but he goes to this Canaanite woman, J.L., he goes to the wrong tent. Let me tell you a little bit about JL. And this is pretty amazing about JL. JL actually, she was a Bodian woman, which is an ethnic group of nomadic Arabs that lived in, nu in numerous nation states in the Middle East. She ba it basically was a minority group within Israel's society. She was a marginalized woman. She was not, she was looked down upon because she was a minority. But she was also looked down upon because she was a woman. And he goes to her tent. JL's name actually means goat. One who ascends. Now there's nothing attractive and appealing about a goat. They're loud. Right? They eat everything. They eat tires. <laughs> They're just a mess. Like if you go to places where there's a lot of poverty. I remember being in a nation and there's just a lot of poverty. And all I saw was goats and dogs because they dwelt where there was a lot of poverty. But goats have this amazing ability because of their hugs, because of their feet, to climb high mountains. I love this. Jael was that kind of woman, you know, she would have been like a hood woman to me. She was no joke. She was able to make water run up a hill. She was able to maximize every morsel that was, that was given to her. She was able to have a little and make a lot out of it. You ever had to make a lot out of a little bit? Come on. You know what I'm saying? Especially when you, okay. All right, we got to make this cereal multiply here. But she was that kind of woman. She was able to, to survive in the rough places. She was a desert woman. She dwelt in a tent. I believe that JL had been prepared her whole life for this one moment to take out Sisera. Some of you are like, what is this fight about? Is it ever going to end, God? Just when I get some ground, it feels like I lose some ground. But what if you're being prepared and all of your pain has a purpose and God is going to use your pain to take out the enemies in your generation? I have to believe that the pain has a purpose and God is able to take out the enemy in my generation. And I've got to live like that. I've got to live with that kind of fight, trusting in the Lord. And not that you wake up every day like that. Most of the time, you'll be dragging. Oh, Jesus, help me, Holy Ghost. Jesus, Shabbatabaduba, show me which way to go. And you'll kick into, oh, God, I need you today. Lord, I need your breakthrough. I need your anointing. I believe that's what we've got to do every day. We need oil. Time for cute prayers are over. There has to be something in you that wants him. There has to be something in you that's hungry. There has to be something in you that says, I'm not okay with this little bit. I need more of the presence of God. I have this, you know, I'm out here in the desert. I've got to get a breakthrough. So JL's in the tent. She's been preparing. She's this woman that society has looked down upon. 
I believe she represents, in a sense, maybe the my, my minority women. I don't know, but I believe she's a sign. And Sisera comes to her tent because he had a relationship. Jael's husband had made an alliance with Sisera, but it was uncommon. It was uncommon for men to go into women's tents. So even for her to let Sisera in her tent, she was putting her reputation at risk. And sometimes God will have you put things at risk to see breakthrough. Sometimes you'll have to just put it all at risk, put it all on the line to see breakthrough. So she brings him in her tent and this is so powerful. She was a smart woman. She offers him milk. See, the enemy went to a familiar, he tried to go to a familiar place. Doesn't he always try to go to a familiar place? But this day, it's like, no, say you went to the wrong tent. You went to the wrong tent. He's come to the wrong tent. He's come to the wrong house. He's come to the wrong city. He's come to the wrong tent. No, you're not going to have my children. No, you're not going to try to pervert them. And you're not going to try to change their whatever. No, you're not going to do that. You have come to the wrong tent. He came to the wrong tent. But she's so sweet because women are so nurturing. Oh, baby, come on in here. Let me give you some milk. See, women, they don't let you know, right? It's like, okay, my husband says, uh, when you're smiling, I'm, I'm hiding. <laughs> so she gives him milk. She offers the enemy milk. Says, come on in here, get some milk, sit down here. She gives him milk. And while he falls asleep, she takes a tent peg. And I believe with that tent peg, she had been training. She knew what it, how to use a tent peg. She's that rough, rugged hood woman. She knew how to use a tent peg. But she knew that this day there was a different cause for the tool in her hand. What is in your hand, ladies, women of God? Glow. What is God calling you to use? That writing gift. What is it that God is calling you to use to drive into the ideologies of a generation? So she takes the tent peg and she drives it in his temple. And I believe the temple represents ideologies, thought patterns, mindsets. Right now we're seeing ideologies that says truth is no longer relevant and you don't have to love God and, and you can do as thy wilt and be whatever you want. But see, there's a tent peg, which is the word of God, that God is going to anoint a generation of mamas in the place of prayer, in the place of worship, in the place of devotion, even in the place of pain, to drive it through the ideologies of the head of Sisera and I'll say this Deborah to me represents the older generation but the thing about Deborah is she didn't take the credit I believe that it is time to pass the baton on and it's not that God's not going to use God wants to use all hands on deck revival the six-year-olds are going to get the fire of the Holy Ghost the 70 year olds there's no retiring, there's just refiring. But I do believe it is time to release some of the reins of control and release that double portion generation into their destiny. But they may not look like what we want and they are coming. And they may not look like what we, we say, oh, they don't have a place in leadership. They're to this or they're to that. But Deborah never did that. Deborah never said, oh, she's a Bodian woman. Oh, she's in the tent. Oh, she's not accepted. She said the victory would go to this woman. She prophesied it forward. Just like that woman on the park bench. Uh, just like the woman who found me on the park bench. So God is calling. I want to say this last thing about JL. And I know my time is up. JL was the only woman in scripture other than Mary. 
to be called blessed amongst women. Jael was a foreshadow of things to come. Jael was blessed among women in the Old Testament. Mary was blessed among women in the New Testament. What a prophetic picture of the birthing of the Messiah and the birthing of breakthrough that was about to happen. So I wanna call the women in this room. I wanna call you tonight higher. I want to call you if your fire has gone out. Listen, all of us have been tested. All of us has wanted to quit at some time of another. But God wants to take you from just being this desert-dwelling woman to be calling blessed amongst women, highly favored of the Lord, pregnant with a purpose, pregnant with a dream, pregnant with revival. I, wanted, I, I, always, you know, I always say this is the last thing, but this really is the last thing. In my dream... When I was praying and I had the visitation of women preachers, the Lord said to me, De Havilland, the women in the Middle East, the burkers in your dream will be a sign of the revival that I'm bringing to the nation. And I said, Lord, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've, I don't even know any of that. And then I meet the leaders there, and, 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 and I can't say where, but the underground church in Iran in the Middle East. Do you know the fasting, the fastest growing church right now is being led predominantly by women? The mosques are empty because of women and burkers who got a vision of revival and they're saying over my dead body and they're literally laying down their lives for love. This is not a game. They're suffering for the gospel. And I remember meeting the woman, and they call her Esther in Iran. And she prayed for me, and I said, you're the woman from my dream. And she said, revival's coming to America. It will come through the east, and it will sweep through the west. Tell the women of America, black, white, yellow, brown, that I'm pegging them for an awakening.